a joy to be back among you in this way. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, there is a dichotomy. The dichotomy is who the man was and who the man is. You see, this man was in the Jewish religious leadership, and he was kind of the fair-haired boy. And now he's a servant, servant of Jesus Christ. He was a man who was fast-tracked, and he was fast becoming a powerful player in the Jewish leadership. And he gave up all of that when he, on the Damascus Road, he encountered Jesus Christ, and his life was changed forever. In the Jewish religious hierarchy, Saul was a winner. He was a winner. He had everything and everything going for him. And this was a man who was probably at some point destined to become the high priest. But when he became Paul the apostle, he gave up all that prestige and all that power to become a servant and go through all the trials and the sufferings and have nothing to show for it. Most people would say that's not a good deal. There are few people who have gone through the same sufferings that Paul endured for the sake of the spreading of the gospel to bring salvation to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. One of those people in our lifetime was Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela left a legacy of peace and justice, yet he spent 27 years in prison for basically nothing. He wasn't criminal, but he had anti-apartheid activities. That's what he was looked down upon. Mandela dedicated his life to guaranteeing civil rights to the black South Africans who had long faced op oppression with the white minority. And yet Mandela was not a tyrant. He wasn't corrupt. On the contrary, he became a symbol of decency and reconciliation the last three decades of his life, literally stretching out his hand across the divide to take the hand, to grasp the hand of the last white president in this so-called inconceivable and unthinkable social system that Mandela had devoted his life to tear down. And his was not a selfish ambition, wasn't a quest to gain power or notoriety only to right a wrong in a social and cultural setting. You know, as I researched the life of Nelson Mandela, I had to ask myself, was this man a believer? Was he a Christian? I thought he certainly should have been or must be to fight through all the trials and sufferings of his life with such integrity and passion. I thought God had to be a major part of the strength that he possessed. When I read his book, Long Walk to Freedom, Mandela wrote in that book that he was a Christian and that his faith was what gave him the strength 
and the will to keep going when all seemed hopeless. In the book of Acts, we see a portrait of similar struggles and trials that Paul endured. And his journey was prophesied by God at the beginning of Paul's walk with the Lord. Right after Paul's Damascus Road, I should say Saul's Damascus Road experience, God sent a man named Ananias of Damascus to go and find Saul, to pray for him and to regain his sight. Because when Saul had that bright light shine on him that knocked him off his horse, he couldn't see. He couldn't see for three days. Saul's reputation, though, had preceded him. Everyone knew that he caused great distress and hardship in the lives of believers. So Ananias, when God said to him, go see Paul and lay your hands on him, Ananias balked and said, Lord, I know this man, and he's a bad dude. My, my word. That he's a man, and he would, Ananias was afraid that he would continue to cause the strife and the struggle with the believers. But God said to Ananias, go and do as I ask, for this man is my chosen instrument to bring the word of God to the Gentiles, to their kings, and even to the Jews. I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake and my name. When you read the story, when you read the story of Nelson Mandela, it mirrors in many ways the life of Saul turned to be Paul. In our reading today in Acts 16, we see Paul on his second missionary journey in the Roman colony of Philippi in Macedonia. And he's following the commitment he made to God. And Paul documents this in his letter to the church of Colossae. I've become God's servant by the commission that he gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept for ages and generations, but is now being disclosed to his people. So Paul is going about his normal business, preaching and teaching first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, and it just so happens that there's a slave girl that's following he and his companions for days. And she has an evil spirit. And yet she's saying that these men are from God. They are, they're the ones that talk to you about salvation and salvation that comes from God. You know, what great advertising could you get? And it's free. They don't have to pay a thing for it. But Paul isn't pleased with this. And he turns to the girl, but he speaks to the Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And there was an exorcism right there on the spot. You see, Paul knows that God doesn't need free advertising or free commercials. It has to be done God's way and no other way. We see that this causes a terrible brouhaha in which Paul and Silas are stripped, they're misrepresented, they get beaten, and they get thrown into prison. 
I don't know about you, but that does not sound like a great day. It doesn't seem to phase Silas or Paul in the least. At midnight, what are they doing? They're found singing praises to God. And everybody in the jail is listening to them. Then the miracle occurs. An earthquake just comes. All the doors of the prison are opened. All the chains on the prisoners are to fall off. What a coincidence. What are the odds of something like this happening? Of course, the biggest surprise is that no one leaves the prison. I'm sure they're saying, I wonder what Paul's going to do next. Now, the Romans had a rule that if you're guarding someone and that person escapes, you had to fulfill their sentence. So when the jailer awakens and looks and sees the doors open, what's his first thought? That everybody's gone and he's going to have to take all of their sentences. So he grabs his sword and he's going to kill himself. And yet Paul says, wait a minute, we're all here. We're all here. So the jailer comes and he just throws himself down at Paul's feet and he says that wonderful question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Now, any evangelist would love to hear that question. We should too. Because Paul suffered a beating and imprisonment, a number of people were brought into the kingdom of God. And Paul thinks that price is not too much to pay for that to happen. Does that sound like Jesus to you? You know, here's a, the person who came to live for us and to die for us, that we might be saved, that we might come to know Christ. In his letter to the Romans, Paul writes, we know that in all things, in all things, God works for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, he doesn't say in all the good things. He says in all things, which means that when we go through strife and struggles, God hasn't left us. He's right there. And he wants that to be a part of our life and to mold us and to make us into his own image. And let me tell you, all of us have been called according to his, his purpose. The price for our salvation has already been paid by the one who died for us on the cross of Calvary. Like Jesus, like Nelson Mandela, and you can throw in other people, such as Martin Luther King. Paul lived by a different mandate than the world does. Think about the lives of these men. None of them, in the end, would be considered a winner. Jesus dies on the cross. Nelson Mandela spends 27 years in prison. In our reading today, Paul is thrown into prison. And later, he dies a martyr's death in Rome. There seemed to be no victory in any of these men's lives. But that's the human view. 
That's how the world sees it. You see, the outlook of the world says these men were failures. Failures. Each of these men were losers in the eyes of the world, but a hero in the eyes of God. That's what makes life and the message of Christ such a, such a hard thing to get your hands around if you're in the world. Because when losing doesn't make any sense. To the world, the world's goal is to win at all costs. Remember the quote by Vince Lombardi? Winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. The mandate of the gospel is not necessarily to win anything except more people to Christ. When you win, it means somebody must lose. And that's not what God is all about. The gospel mandate is to lose our life for others, for the sake of others. Jesus says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Paul endures beatings, imprisonments, shipwrecks, and much more so that more people will hear the saving message of Jesus Christ and come to salvation. See, that's the message. In the movie Schindler's List, at the end when the war is ended and the people that Schindler saved, these, these Jews, 1,200, 1,300 of them, they're standing there trying to say thank you to Schindler. And he's got tears in his eyes as he looks at his gold cufflinks and his expensive watch and his car. And he said, you know, I could, I could have saved one more if I'd have sold this. I could have saved two more if I'd have sold my car. Paul had that same mandate. By all accounts, Jesus lost the battle. But he lost on purpose. And he lost with a purpose. Follow Paul from Tarsus to Greece to Jerusalem and then to Rome. By all accounts, he lost. But he lost on purpose. And he lost with a purpose. By Christ's death, death was destroyed. And we have been saved if we believe in him. And Christ has made us his body. And as Christ's body, we're not called to win anything. We're called to do what Christ asks us to do, which is to love him and to love our neighbor. And our neighbor, who may not look like us, who may not think like us, who may not be in the same political party as us. However, that person is still a child of God, and it's your neighbor to be loved just as much as you are. We're called to lose our life for the gospel and to have the passion of Oscar Schindler and want to save one more person. One more person. Amen.